You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Jack Farley. It's Friday, May 8th. We've got our Real Vision CEO, Ralph Powell, standing by with Ash Bennington, and they're ready to give you their macro analysis. But they're also going to be giving you a sneak peek of our epic content campaign that we're going to be having over the next two weeks. It's called The Global Recession. What's next? We've booked great names, some of the biggest names in finance. So over the course of the campaign, you're going to be hearing from some of the best investors in the world. And what are they thinking about the recovery, the global economy, uh, finance, different asset classes? It really is going to be an embarrassment of riches. But first, the big story of the day. The long-awaited numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics came in at 8.30 this morning. And in many ways, they beat expectations, even though they're the worst that we've ever seen since the Great Depression. Non-farm payrolls fell by a staggering 20.5 million. This is the biggest month-over-month change since the series began in 1939. It's not even close. This massive drop-off wiped out almost a decade's worth of job growth. And as a matter of fact, the total figure for non-farm payrolls is actually lower than where it was at the end of 2000. I actually found a fascinating and terrifying chart by Bloomberg Intelligence that the number of jobs just lost in the past month is higher than the number of all jobs in America lost during all recessions since 1970. These unprecedented mass layoffs have pushed the unemployment rate to a staggering 14.7%. This is much higher than the 08 financial crisis. This kind of devastation in the labor market hasn't been seen since the Great Depression. Unfortunately, the bad news doesn't end there. The Labor Department indicated that the true rate of unemployment could be as high as 19% because many Americans are reporting themselves as employed but absent from work when in fact they're furloughed. And it's interesting, furloughed workers make up over 80% of all unemployed people in the United States right now. And even that doesn't take into account the people who have stopped looking for work. If you look at the labor force participation rate, the labor force is shriveling as people are giving up hope of trying to find a job. The underemployment rate reflects this reality, which spiked to a staggering 22.8%. Meanwhile, many of the workers who've been laid off or were low-wage workers from the service and leisure sectors. That's why today we saw the average hourly wage increase by 4.7% month over month. That's a huge increase. And that happened as these low-wage workers have lost their jobs. While millions of Americans have lost their jobs, some workers have lost much, much more. One harrowing report of meatpacker Raphael Benjamin brings that to the foray. Raphael, in late March, was getting ready to celebrate his 17th anniversary working for meatpacking firm Cargill. But he started to get anxious as he saw some of his colleagues get sick. And as Raphael heard rumors about the coronavirus, he was getting very nervous. So his daughter gave him a mask, which he started to wear at work. But one of his supervisors told Raphael to take his mask off because it was alarming other workers. On April 4th, Raphael started feeling sick and he ultimately passed away on April 19th. At least 164 of Raphael's 900 coworkers ultimately 
ended up testing positive for COVID-19. It's a grim reminder that many workers are not just losing their jobs, they're losing their lives as well. In light of this grim, disturbing news, equity markets actually rallied today, with the S&P comfortably cruising above 2,900 and gaining 1.5% on the day as of the time of this filming. So the dichotomy between Main Street and Wall Street is in full swing here as tens of millions of Americans are unemployed. Meanwhile, the stock market roars back. It really is quite confounding. To make sense of it all, we have Ash Bennington with Real Vision's fearless CEO, Rao Pal. They're gonna break this down as well as much, much more. They're also gonna be giving you a sneak peek of our fantastic two-week content campaign that's gonna be going on over the next two weeks. Guys, take it away. It's Friday, May 8th. 2020, just after market close here in New York. I'm Ash Bennington. This is a Real Vision Daily Briefing. And we are here today with Rao Powell. Welcome, Rao. Hi, Ash. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has. Here in Little Cayman, they've actually opened up the island because they tested 96% of the residents, found that nobody had COVID, banned anybody to coming here. So tonight, I can go to the pub. That's fantastic. Was it 96% of the 30 of you on the island? Is that? I think there's currently, there's about 150 people here right now. So. Oh, wow. More than usual. More, nah, well, it, it kind of swells and goes down. but And you couldn't tell because everyone was locked at home. So you did, he had no idea how many people were here. All you could see was the iguanas in the street. <laughs> A little different than the island I'm on. <laughs> A tad different. So talking of which, it's been an extraordinary week. Uh, incredible news flow. <laughs> Uh, some really interesting events that have occurred, lots of interesting things we've covered on Real Vision and lots of interesting things to come uh, in the weeks and, uh, and, and months to come. Um, Rob, what are you looking at right now? So the key thing for me is, if you remember when I laid out the case for, called the unfolding, it yeah. was, okay, we're going to have the liquidation phase, then we're going to have the hope phase, which we're clearly in now, and then what's next? Right. We're in the biggest recession of all time. If anybody caught yesterday, the Bank of England, which is the third oldest central bank in the world, said that the UK recession was the largest in over 300 years. That's extraordinary. The PMI in India was five. Mm. Right. So, okay. So the hope, the liquidation and that catastrophic phase... But what's next from here? This is the most important question. This is all I do my thinking about. And I know uh, we'll talk about it a bit in a, in a bit, but you know, we've got a bunch of content coming up on this because it's the only question anybody cares about. It's that. You know, I, so, so that's really interesting. For example, one of the things I'm observing in markets right now that's giving me a, a, a kind of weird signal is the equity markets at highs, you know, at the 61.8 retracement that we talked about numerous times. Meanwhile, the bond yields fell, all of them broke lower, something I've been talking about for a while, and Fed funds traded negative. So that's an extraordinary thing. It's, it's truly extraordinary, especially when you have Jay Powell uh, coming out repeatedly and other high-ranking Fed officials coming out repeatedly and saying, we don't foresee the possibility of negative interest rates here in the United States. We don't believe that there's any policy impact that can be gained from it. Meanwhile, the bond market, which is the source of all truth, says, I can't hear you, Jay, because all I can see is deflation coming. Right. 
massive chart, the commodity um, patterns in, let's say, the CRB index or the Reuters commodity or the Economist All Commodities Index, they all got massive deflation written all over them. The rising dollar is massively deflationary. What's happened in the oil price? Massively deflationary. What's happening to consumer spending? Massively deflationary. So here's the thing, the most important thing here, and I think I talked about it last week, is real rates are going up and the bond market's freaking out. Because real rates mean if rates are zero, deflation is 3%, real rates mean the, the Fed have just tightened by 3% in the middle of a recession. Right. So that is, the, that is the crucial thing here. The bond market is sniffing it out. It's saying inflation, deflation lies dead ahead. And whatever the stock market's thinking about is probably wrong. Okay, that's super interesting. And there's a bunch of these things. Now, maybe the stock market's right and the bond market's wrong. I don't generally believe that. But that's why I wanted to reach out to a ton of people and say, listen, what do you think? Because this is the most important question potentially of our lifetimes. It's not a flippant market thing, what happens next week at the market? Nobody cares. This is, we're talking about the next three months. I was just having a, a conference call with a, with a, um, a PE fund that uh, I advise. And we were looking through it for them that like, we can't see it. They can't see it on their balance sheet or in their P&L because it's such a mess. But they will know by October, by August, September, okay, where are we? What's really going on? What's the underlying trend of the economy? And my guess is the bond market's looking through that already. Right. So we need to find out what the hell is going on. Yeah. Am I, am I wrong? Am I right? Who knows? Well, you know, if you look back uh, over the last uh, few decades and even hundreds of years, um, Fed chairs on the one hand, the stock market uh, on the other, and the bond market. We know what's got the best record. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So you know, next week, I mean, we, um, over the next two weeks, in fact, we've put together a ridiculous selection of people based around this theme. Yes. So you know, I asked Kirill Sokolov to to find out who's the best person to ask about what's going forward, and I think he's interviewing Lacey Hunt. I want to know about that 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 juxtaposition between crypto markets and macro because everyone's focused on it. We'll talk about Paul Tudor-Jones in a bit, but I've got Mike Novogratz to come on. We wanted to find out what other people thought. The smartest thing is from the value perspective. So we've got Howard Marks coming. We wanted to find out variant perception. So we asked Russell Clark to come and talk to us. We've got, I don't know who else is on this list, but the list is, is like the most ridiculous selection of people. We've got Hugh Hendry interviewing Richard Werner. So Hugh's never been the interviewer, but he had a bit of worship of Richard Werner on the piece when I spoke to him. So I said, go and interview him, Hugh. Let's find out what happened to the Japanese economy and the European economies over the similar periods. So we've got that. We've got the kind of grand master of the balance sheet recession to understand what happened in Japan and what happened in Europe, which is Richard Koo. Yes. I mean, we have a ridiculous selection of people to come and help us answer these questions. I think Richard Koo actually coined that term, balance sheet recession. That's actually his original coinage. That was his book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. I was just looking this uh, over when uh, before we started the call. Um, it's just this is everything that Real Vision knows how to do brilliantly. Uh, and it's all of the names that you would want to see if you were trying to get your head around what the big overarching picture was that was happening right now. Exactly right. You know, the other thing is the dollar. So... We know that the BIS and people like that have these huge dollar numbers, so we aren't 
ask Brent Johnson, who everybody knows, to go and find out from um, William White about how that all works, what's going on there. Because, again, the dollar's so important within all of this. Right. Uh, we, you know, I asked Kyle Bass as well, because he's one of the people I always reach out to and say, hey, listen, what do you think? Because I want to get his perspective, not only about what's going on in the U.S. and where the opportunities lie, but what he thought ongoing about Hong Kong and China in this situation, what's happening in Southeast Asia. I mean, there's so many angles. I think we've also got Mark Mobius coming on to yeah, talk about to talk about um, Asia and Chris Woods. And, um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, the next two weeks are going to be unmissable. And in the end, I'm really hoping what it gives us is some sort of better understanding what's ahead. What I do know is a lot of people don't agree. So it's going to be super interesting. Well, that's what makes that slate so interesting is we have a tapestry. We have a mosaic of different views, different people looking at it from different angles with different perspectives and different outlooks. You know, and if you look at the way this story is being covered elsewhere, you know, all you see is the, the backward looking report uh, about the jobs report uh, that came out this morning at 830. And we all this isn't a shocker. We knew it was going to be terrible. We knew that we've lost, uh, you know, some 20 and a half million jobs. The question is, what's going to happen next? And what are the intellectual frameworks that you need to bring to that to try and understand what's going to happen next? That's right. And it's, you know, how many of the jobs lost come back over what time period? What does that do to spending in the middle? What does it do to solvency? What, what does fiscal stimulus do? And that leads us into, there's a big de debate about looking a bit further out, inflation and deflation. Right. As there always is, that yeah. battle, deflation has been winning for most of our lifetimes now, but people still want to have the battle. And that battle came first and foremost in Paul Tudor Jones's note about Bitcoin. Right, so here we are around the halving, it's breaking 10,000. You know, I'm hyper focused on it as you are, and you know, so many of us are. Yes. And I've laid out my case why. And then Paul Tudor Jones writes his note, amusingly enough, referring to GMI in it. Everyone's like, holy shit, is that Rouse? <laughs> no. But obviously, I do know him. Um, but no, that was his global monetary inflation. Yes. And people talk to me and say, well, you believe in deflation. How can you believe in Bitcoin? You believe in deflation. How can you believe in gold? I'm like, they're two different things. There's a monetary inflation, which is the, the, the devaluing of the fiat currency system, which is what's going on. Everybody's printing money. Right. So in relative term, the price of gold and Bitcoin, which are two of the hardest assets in the world, rise. But that's not the same as food prices, because they're falling even more, because there's actually deflation going on. At the same time, there's a monetary inflation. It happened in the 1930s. People just can't get their heads around it. Yeah. So you can have the price of corn, wheat, copper, oil, all falling faster than the price of fiat money's falling. Mm. So it's deflation in prices and a deflation in purchasing power overall against the hardest assets. A fair money. So I think Paul was talking a lot about that. I know he's, you know, he talks about some of the positions that he's got on, which some of them were commodity, you know, longs. But I also know him, and he's in and out in every three and three and a half minutes. So, right, uh, whatever he writes down is not necessarily what he holds. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. These are all next order kind of questions that we're asking and trying to figure this out. And as you said. You know, it's not about just finding the individual granular correct answers. It's about understanding the framework and understanding the broader picture of what's happening. You know, when you think about inflation and deflation, the question of how these two things can possibly be happening simultaneously, what we've one of the things that we've seen in the U.S. economy, certainly for, for a very long time, 
uh, is this divergence between general price levels uh, and the price levels for healthcare and education, which have gone just parabolic to the upside as everything else has been in uh, either relative decline uh, or absolute decline. Uh, you know, so it's just uh, nothing important, of course. Just if you'd like your li if you'd like to live and you'd like your children to have a future, by the way, you're going to pay these uh, spiraling costs. And these are the kind of issues that are going to become even more important as we also, move forward. This day and age, it's it, of big data. It's ridiculous that we even think of inflation in these ways, because your inflation is different to my inflation. It's different to your next door neighbor's inflation. Right. You buy different things. You have different needs, and it's ridiculous to think of some blended rate of inflation. <laughs> but in this instance, look, it's interesting because Bitcoin and gold, generally speaking, if there is, if they've set up too much inflation by excessive printing and excessive fiscal stimulus, we've got inflation. Gold goes up and probably Bitcoin too. If I'm right and it's a massive deflation, the central banks are going to have to print more. Right. So it values all of the so you've basically got, it's rare that you've got a set of outcomes in both both camps, inflation or deflation, gold and Bitcoin work. The worst would be the middle ground. Anything on the, anything on the wings works brilliantly. Anything in the middle ground, which is, yeah, you know, no real inflation, no real deflation, call, it, call that zero growth bumping along half a percent, 1% growth. Well, that's a, that's a disaster for gold and Bitcoin. It, it, in those in that framework right you know and these are all issues that you touched on uh, earlier in the week with uh, or last week rather with Hugh Hendry uh, issues that I touched on and we did a real vision live uh, for plus tier subscribers with Balaji Srinivasan and touched on these issues in the context of Bitcoin and in the context of price stability uh, there's a lot happening right now there is a lot happening and there's a lot happening all other parts it's also that whole other debate that people like Mike Green is leading about is passive investing distorting everything? Mm. Mike wrote his piece uh, for his asset management business where it looks like maybe the passive buyers, which are basically the millennial 401ks, right. start to stop buying because they need to divest or they just want to save some more money and not have it in the stock market. So maybe there's a tipping point there so that passive flow story, that's a really important story. Right, is right. quantitative easing finding its way into the stock market or is it not? Is it all just a hopium trade based on human behavior or is the stock market right? I mean, this is really fascinating. However, I tend to just turn off the stock market and don't even look at it because it's the least macro of all things. And I'm a macro guy. So for a market, a stock market guy, right, you know, you, you could trade that all day. For me, it's like, I don't understand it. I understand the bond market, I understand the dollar, which I think is going higher. We saw huge moves against Brazil this week. And that, that whole dollar bull market continues to rumble on, blowing up currency after currency. So I prefer the bond market and, and the dollar overall. Um, you know, things like that, things that are much more macro in nature. Yeah, and the U.S. equity market for the last uh, several weeks, uh, even months, has been just dramatically out of touch, it seems, with the events that are actually transpiring on the ground. If you're looking for a mechanism to discount or price risk uh, in the real economy, the stock market is not the place to do it these days. I'm not sure it ever was. <laughs> Even less so today. Even less so today. <laughs> I'll go with that. Even less so today. 
I call it, when I write Global Macro Investor, I call it the vanity trade because it lures you. It's the siren call. I'm so desperate to short equities because then you can sound like Paul Tudor Jones. Yeah, I sold equities at the 87 high and I shorted the Nikkei at 1990. It's vanity. The actual reality is everyone makes all their money in the bond market. Now, that's the worst. Here's a weird world, right, Ash? The bond market, which has been the primary macro variable for all of our lifetimes, is about to end. Mm. It's going to go negative and it's going to stay like Europe. That's it. Finished. No portfolio effects. No nothing. It's basically going to look like a bank account in everybody's portfolios. You know, in a certain sense, relate to this party. This has been uh, Japan uh, for decades and, and Europe for many years. That's right. But we're going to bounce. The U.S. bond market is the last. We're going to lose an entire asset class. I mean, that's a, get your head around that. And this is one of the biggest, and it's not like debt's gone away. It's just we've got the, the debt deflation has gone to the levels where they don't move anymore. There's there's no more. There's nothing left. So right. I don't know whether what it does tell us. It gives us a great opportunity to do the whole thing all over again in somewhere like India, where you've got a young population and more inflation in the economy, and over time, it'll end up with a maturing population and go X growth, and the bond market continues to be a fantastic source of, of uh, creating wealth. But yeah, interesting times. Yes, extremely. Uh, talking of which, as I think through this and I look over what we're going to be doing uh, for, for this recession crisis week, my question for you, Raul, is what are the questions that you hope to get answers to as we sit down with this incredible slate of guests? As always, the answer is in the nuance and not in the direct answer itself. Mm -hmm. I want to hear... I want to hear what's going on in China and, and the emerging markets that saw this earlier. I want to see how long COVID could remain in the Southern Hemisphere over this period. What does that mean? We're seeing the rates explode in Brazil yeah. and places like that. You know, we have problems, really big problems still in Russia, India. So I want to know a bit about that. I want to know... I really want to know historically what happened in these situations, Japan being the great example. Also, you know, because people said I was mad when I've been talking for the last few months about negative rates, and we pretty much got there yesterday to, in certain parts of the curve. And I went back and looked at Europe. And fascinating, Europe, the, the ECB got to zero in 2012, but the two-year notes traded negative for on and off for the next 18 months. And then eventually the ECB went to negative rates, realizing that the bond market had proven out that it was okay to do it. Right. And if, if they didn't, real rates were gonna rise. So I, you know, I think that's, that's gonna be very interesting as well, to just figure out how some of these in the past have worked. Yeah, that's such an interesting um, you know, chicken or the egg question. When, when, when fixed income investors are already pricing in negative rates, and then a central bank begins to move in that direction. That is, one might say, precisely the pattern we're now seeing here in the US. Exactly right. So I just think, you know, so I want to hear from all of these people about their own expertise in this global jigsaw puzzle. Um, having done some of the interviews myself, I know that most of them have a different view than me, which I find contextually interesting as well. Right. And it's not like they all agree with each other. There's there's quite a broad selection of views out there. 
So I think weaving through a narrative, and maybe at the end of it, I'll just do a small piece, or maybe we'll do it in the Real Vision Daily Briefing, where we'll try and sit, throw down on the table and say, okay, what, what did we get out of that? And is there any kind of things, like I did with Hugh Hendry, that right. we can piece together that, well, they've got all of that idea, what works for all of those scenarios? That kind of thing I think will be interesting to puzzle through, because I think it's going to be really, really intellectually interesting, but it's going to take some teasing out. Yeah, you know, as I said to Roger Hurst earlier in the week, um, you know, the, the complexity of the world is overwhelming. Why should the conversation be simple? <laughs> well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we like to do is to mix things up, to take a macro and strategic view on the one hand, and then take a, a very tactical, short price term focused view on the other hand, and try and figure out what those different ways of looking at the world are telling us. And also, you know, we're coming up with, you know, having like Mike Novogratz to talk about crypto and macro. Right. A day away from Howard Marks talking about credit and value. Right. I mean, I love that. I mean, where the hell else do you get that? You know, where, where do you get, I think, I think we've got this ludicrous panel of people talking about emerging markets, which I think is Mark Mobius, Jim Rogers and Chris Woods. I mean, I mean, literally nowhere else in the world are you going to get that stable of three people on yeah. the same half hour, 45 minute piece to try and pick their brains. So yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see some of this stuff because some of it, some of it I film myself, other stuff, I've, I have no idea what's in there. So I, I cannot wait. Yeah. Those are some of the most exciting. Sometimes the peer to peer interviews, because we have no idea where they're going to go. We know that they're going to be something that's going to be really special because we know who the people are. We've selected them. We've thought a lot about how we're going to put them together, but it's, you know, you kind of just open up the gate and then it's off to the races. Yeah, because I mean, we've got a friend of mine who uh, I've known for a long time. He's really one of the smartest people I know, uh, Michael Nicoletis. He's going to do some interviews, two parts, because Michael's involved in everything from um, emerging markets to core Europe, um, and he has a really broad knowledge. So you know, you know, he was he's run a hedge fund for many many years, and so I'm interested in seeing because Michael's doing two of these. He'll be very interesting to to hear what he uncovers because he comes at a different angle again. So just I love layering on nuance because, you know, this real is not about you. It's not about me. It's about this whole community of incredible people that we've got, the investing legends themselves and the comment section itself as well. And the subscribers for sure. That's right. I mean, the, the I, I, mean I find it a source of, yeah, I was just going to say it's a great source of ideas. And, and I think we are very responsive to that content because we have people who are thinking about it. Uh, critically in a way that uh, is just different from our own, which is invaluable. Yeah, and also, you know, for example, on the Real Vision Pro tier, there's a lot of people ask the community questions, like, oh, God, Raoul was talking about that, knowing that I can't help them structure every trade and do all of this stuff. But the community reached out and said, hey, listen, what does he mean by that? Three people will answer, I'll chip in. They'll say, you know, how can I structure it? Well, you know, and it's a great thing. The other thing yeah, that was a really exciting thing this week was us rolling out um, all of these affiliate programs for investing in crypto, buying and storing physical gold, um, training and education, um, being able to buy futures and options and Forex to give people all the tools that they need to, to execute on the things that they hear on Real Vision. That's a huge development for us. I think it's going to be a great resource for everybody. Yeah, it all continues to evolve, and we're teasing some things that we're doing, uh, going to be doing in crypto as well. Those are very exciting. Yeah.
exciting times, exciting markets. Um, let's wait and see how the next week pans out. But from my framework, just to give everybody a little thought process, from my framework, I think we are in the, la the last stages of the hope phase. Mm. Could I be wrong? Possibly. The bond market's telling me I'm right. So just keep, everybody keep an eye on that one thing. Just stick two-year yields up. Whatever it is, it's two yields, fine. The closer it gets to zero, the more right I'm going to be. Well, if uh, the bond market is your ally, it's a powerful one. <laughs> yeah. And people will tell you, oh, it's a false signal because the Fed are buying. Look at the QE. They'll, they'll tell you, like they did with the yield curve inverting every time in my career, three times I've seen the yield curve invert. Everyone's, everyone's going, no, it's not a real inversion this time. Yeah, every time it was. And same with this. It'll go to negative. Everyone's going to go, no, this is a technical issue, Raoul. You don't know what you're talking about. No, it's deflation. Yeah, and then the, the, their response to that is, but really, the smart money is in the stock market. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm the idiot. Uh, talking of which, when you look <laughs> ahead, what are you going to be looking at for this week? I can't believe it's, the, the half an hour has just flown by. Uh, we're close to the end here. But as you look ahead for the next uh, seven days, what are you going to be looking for to confirm or disconfirm some of those points you just made? Only focus now, right? The bond market did what I wanted it to do, was to break these little flat lines that have been on and the yield started falling. Okay, that's in play for me. I'm off for one more signal and I want it to come soon. I want the euro to break 107.70, 107.50. If it breaks that, it breaks the entire uptrend since the 80s. If it breaks that, it tells us it's going to 70 cents or 80 cents um, against the US dollar. If it tells us that, it tells us the European crisis is about to pick up because somewhere in this, the market's going to force an answer from the European Commission and the ECB because there's no way you can call it a European Union but when something a, an extraneous event occurs that is catastrophic and the Spaniards and the Italians go to the European Commission and say we need help and the Germans go well I don't know about that mm. we're not going to mutualize with you guys so what is that union you know, if you think of a central bank as supposed to be the lender of last resort, well, the ECB are doing that, but the, East, the EU aren't doing that. Right. So therefore, what is, what is it? Now, I'm, I'm a European fan, but this construct is not going to work. Right. So the, the market's going to force them into it, and I think the currency market's where it's going to go, because you can't let spreads widen because the ECB are buying them all. Right. I've always said this in Japan and in Europe, it's going to end up as a currency crisis. Um, yeah. So I'm watching that. And also this fascinating, that it, you know, I said to Roger, it's, it, sounds like, uh, it sounds like financial ambient, but what could be more important than this German federal court decision potentially forcing a review at the ECB uh, on the capital key and on the rates at which bonds can be bought? It sounds excruciatingly dull, but underneath all the bureaucratic and legalese, this is an incredibly important issue that touches on everything that you just brought up. Yes, and the smart money suggests that it will just go away. Um, but it doesn't matter because it's true. There is an issue, and everybody knows it. How do you allocate ECB favor amongst nations and who pays for it and how do you mutualize that how 
what is going to happen? I don't know if people have put the maths together, but we've done it at GMI. I mean, we're going to be increasing the deficits by not the 6% of the Maastricht criteria, but we're going to be adding 25% on top of the deficits, right? So what Maastricht criteria? So what does the EU do then? Do they ask them for austerity? How it's, does it hard, get it's hard to see how they can with the, with the pain that they've experienced in Spain, in Italy. So they don't ask for austerity. So those governments print more and Germany has to... Be, you know, the, there is no answer here. Everybody is going to get into trouble in this equation. And we haven't even heard from Greece because they're in shutdown still. So right. Greece has done a great job with the virus, but they've probably taken the largest economic shock of all. That's not, that's not even figured out by markets because markets can't have too much noise at once. So Greece is going to come out of this and go, OK, well, we need another 30% of GDP too. And, and then the Germans are going to go, well, you're not going to do that, especially not you Greeks, because we warned you about that. Right. OK, where is this going to go? I'm sorry, but the euro is not at 107. The euro is sub one. So they, this is the next big phase for me. I think the bond thing is, is in play. Let's keep our eye on it. The next phase, I think, is the euro and the movement of all of the major currencies in the next phase of the dollar eating all of its competitors and then itself. And then itself. Yeah, I mean, it's slightly different circumstances, slightly different facts on the ground. Um, but fundamentally, it comes back to the point that we were making, that this is a, this is a, a perspective that definitely looks as though the bond market is foreshadowing the grim tidings to come. Yeah. And let's, let's wait and see how it plays out. We won't get much clarity from the markets and the narrative till later in the summer. But I think the bond market will sniff it out first, much like it did um, in 2019. It had figured this all out a long time ago. Pre-COVID, it knew we were going into recession. Yeah. Uh, so let's keep our eye on it. We'll do that. It's a pleasure to have you again, Raoul. Yeah, have a good weekend, Ash. Try and get some rest. And uh, we'll come into another exciting week, I think, next week. I don't know the meaning of that word anymore. Rest, no. It's everything, you know, we just live at our desks now because our desks are where we eat, where we do everything. It's it's a weird old world, but I'm going to the bar tonight and I shall have a few drinks and eat food that I haven't cooked, which will make a bloody miracle for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Please enjoy that. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a great weekend. Take care. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.